in. Go to Hosea. I'm going to read um, a couple of things, and I'm going to be in the NLT I, just today. I like the way that NLT tells the story of Hosea. I like the wording of it. So today I'm actually going to read it out of the NLT. NIV is very similar, so if, you're, if, you're, if you have that, it's going to be basically the same thing. Um, but I'm, I'm going to read a couple things I've been writing, and then we'll just go straight into this. Um, okay, a few months ago, I talked briefly on the process of transformation. Some of you may remember this, some of you may not. That's okay. Um, and, and, and what I taught was, is the process of transformation, becoming something new, um, is deformation, so becoming formless, losing an old form, if you will, information, or we could say inward formation, and then reformation, which is to shape again. I didn't see at the time how, prof, how excuse me, I didn't see at the time the prophetic significance that, uh, that was in this understanding. And over the past few months, I have been in a, personally, and I know some of you guys have been too, in a presence encounter that I can only describe, I've looked for the words, and this is the best way I can describe what I've been walking through with the Lord, that I can only describe as inheriting a unique zeal for the Lord. Specifically, specifically, a zeal for the purity of his house and his bride. If you've been around me over the past couple of months, um, maybe you've seen this and maybe you haven't, but I, I have a, and that's the only word I can come up with, a zeal for the Lord I've never had in my life. Not that I didn't have one before, but this compared to that, not the same. And, and it's, it's the same, the only way I can um, correlate it is the passion and the zeal that Jesus had when he comes through Palm Sunday, and then one of the first things he does is go into the temple and start throwing tables. That kind of zeal for the purity of the house of the Lord is what I've been in for about two months now. And, um, and you're about to see this probably come out. So, uh, so anyway, there are things that the Lord allowed us to take time in, letting go of in 2020. And here's what I want to do today. And I think I mentioned this in my writing, but um, I want to put a, a period on the last year. We've had three, this is the last um, Sunday in the month of March. So we've been three months into a new year completion. And uh, so what I want to do is I want to put a period today on what we have been through over the past year. And, um, and by doing that, what we're about to walk into is some, is some brand new stuff. But the reason I want to do this, and I mentioned it, I think it was two Tuesday nights ago. The reason I want to do this is a lot of you are still carrying stuff in 2021 that you were supposed to let go of in 2020. And so we will not, we will not start building the temple of the Lord, if you will, in where the Lord is taking us while our hearts are still in an inferior season. So what we're going to do today, and that y'all say amen, I just need you to buckle up. I hope you wore steel-toed boots today. Because um, I'm serious about this. I have a zeal for you, but what I have a zeal for is the Lord's house today. I've come, I've come with an assignment to purify his house. Okay? All right. There are things he allowed us to take time and letting go of in 2020. Things he allowed us to carry for a season. But that season was signified 
by us walking through the process of deformation or losing form. is what last year was for most people. Things felt chaotic, they felt uncertain, and most importantly, they felt unfamiliar. Here, in that place, most of us started grasping for a sense of familiar And it caused us to misinterpret what Yahweh was actually moving us into as wrong or bad. So let me let me just summarize this. And I'm saying this because I've I did this throughout the whole year, and I've I've mentioned this a few weeks. Is that when we go through a season that is unfamiliar, we'll start grasping for things, whether that be encounters in the secret place, whether that be the way that the Lord has previously spoken to you, whatever. We'll start grasping for things familiar because we feel chaotic in something that is unfamiliar, okay? And when that happened, when we moved into that season, myself and a lot of us started calling what the Lord was doing bad or wrong. And the way that we did that was, Lord, get us out of here, or Lord, get this over with soon, Now that we've had three full months to process last year, I can say with full confidence, this is the message, that we have been lured, L-U-R-E-D, lured, drawn into the wilderness where we found our first love. The place where what we're called, or what we have called normal has been stripped for us for an inward formation that is leading us to what is orthodox, singularity of heart. Orthodox meaning right belief, okay? Singularity of heart meaning you have one heart toward one thing, and that is the feet of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to amen myself today. Or the rocks might cry. If y'all don't cry out, the rocks will, so that's okay. Um and we, the reason I'm saying that is because we just bought a bunch of rocks for the activity they're doing in Kids Day. Anyway, Dad. For too long, for too long, here we go. Believers have said yes to Jesus and yes to comfortability or conformity. We've let the culture outside of us dictate what goes on within us rather than the world within us dictating the culture around us. For the church, we've let the culture outside the church dictate what we do inside the church. Why do we do rock shows? It's it's not because it's cheap, because it ain't. Why do we do that? Because the world outside of the church says that's what's relevant today. So instead of us making Jesus relevant to the culture outside of us, instead we start adopting what's relevant in the culture outside of us, in the culture inside of us. And when we do that, the culture within starts to become the same thing as the culture without. So people are getting saved from one culture into another culture that's actually identical to the one that they were supposed to be saved from. They come from a world where nobody's free, and then they come into a church where nobody's free. And and so I I say this with love and grace, but what's the point? Why show up and do it? 
Why do we show up and do church unless we're going to leave this place different than we were when we walked in the doors? Because if we're not, we need to close it up, pack it up, y'all save your money, go spend it on Disney on ice, and we'll go do something else. I mean, Right? The, the whole reason you're here today, the whole reason you're in the room today is not because that's just what you do as a believer. That's not why you're here. You might have come here because that's why you're here. That's not why you're here. You're in this room because Yahweh has new creation on his mind and you're the instrument he's going to use to do it. We've carried our issues like a badge of honor rather than laying our issues at his feet and being free indeed. We've picked fights about, here we go. We've picked fights about elections and masks because we have more faith in man than God. That's me too. We've twisted the hope-filled eschatology theology about the end of Christ returning with his kingdom, with a defeated, heartless, and loveless eschatology of us getting out to a cloud where you can play a harp all day in a big diaper. Well, Josh, what are you talking about? I don't know. Take, take a drive right down the street and look at all the stained glass windows. Tell me how many of those stained glass windows involve him coming here terrain. None of them. They all involve us being on a cloud. Clouds can't hold you up. I mean, just scientifically, if you try to stand on a cloud, you fall straight through. Where on earth did we get that we're going to stand on clouds for eternity? Y'all think I'm joking, but this is what we think about heaven. We don't care about him coming here and bringing his kingdom here. We care about getting away and floating away to something mystical place. This is just fun. <laughs> y'all looking at, listen, y'all, listen, y'all are, this, this is my point. This is my point. Because you guys are looking at me like I'm teaching something brand new, and I'm not. I'm teaching what's in here. But we have been taught something that's so far from what's in here that we think what's in here is brand spanking new. What I'm teaching you is what the early church believed. Let me tell you something. When I say supernatural, when I just say supernatural, every one of you, I don't even have to ask, Every single one of you, when I say God, if I said God did something supernatural, here's what you would believe. You would say that the Lord in a moment stepped in and shifted what is natural and stepped in and just did something brand spanking new out of the ordinary, right? Before the 18th century, which is the Enlightenment period, where, um, where the West, mostly Americans, had the grand idea to shove God out in outer space to Pluto we're going to be here. We're going to run the world like we want, but brother, we've got grace. That was the 18th century, okay? wasn't, you know. Before the 18th century, here's what the word supernatural meant. It meant Yahweh joined with what is natural, using what is natural for something that is super in purpose. This is what I'm talking about. We have separated God and his world with us and our world when God and his world is us and our world. Okay. 
Glad you are here today. We've traded the church for a circus and fathers and mothers for influencers. Amen. As a whole, the Western church has become, and I'm going to use the words in Hosea, an adulterous wife in intimacy with anything that will give it attention, and it has produced children of the same kind. But, out here in the wilderness, the Lord finds a remnant that he himself will plant and grow into the largest of families in the earth. Just using the words of Jesus. What we're currently in is a season of Yahweh finishing an inward formation with a reformation of us and the cosmos in mind. What we cannot do any longer is carry into this season the bondage of the last. Half-heartedness may have made it in the last season, but it will not make it in this one. Some of you haven't had to make the life-altering or life-saving, I would say, choices that you're going to have to make coming up. Your choices, your time, and your money reveal where you are and honestly who you are. Y'all, man, y'all real quiet. Palm Sunday. It's what Jesus did. It's what we're celebrating, right? He rides right in on a donkey, and where does he go? Beeline for the tables at the temple. About to throw this chair like he threw the tables in the temple. In fact, let me just... It's going to drive me crazy. Got to get some WD-40 on that thing. Some anointing oil. If it, listen, if everything in your life, if everything in life or a job or a relationship or whatever keeps you from, just for example, because this is fun in, in Columbia in the South, coming to church, It reveals not that you're busy, but that you honor what gets your time. Some of you are going to be called to trust God in laying down careers, laying down relationships, laying down etc. for the sake of your soul. This is where we are in the Big C Church. We're not playing games anymore. We're not doing apathy anymore. You and I will either lose our lives to find them or we'll find our lives and lose them. We choose. The days, and I'm going to use my link, the days of us getting our teeth kicked in by our pet issues are over. If we truly long to see his kingdom come, we're going to have to live and align ourselves in a posture of being the bride. The days of shying away from talking about tithing are over. The days of shying away from teaching that the only design for marriage is a man and a woman are over. The days of us shying away from teaching on dominion are over. The days of us shying away of teaching on pornography are over. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The days of us shying away from this stuff because it's not what the culture around us wants to hear are over. And if anybody wants to cancel me, cancel me. Go ahead. I could care less. I'm, I'm dead serious. In this room, y'all, y'all, I'm telling you what I've been in, y'all may not like. I mean, I hope you do. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm serious. I am not. A, listen, we, we can't live afraid of what outside is going to tell us. What we are going to do is tell outside what it's going to be, which is the kingdom of God. I, man's not going to build this kingdom. I'm not going to build this kingdom. Yahweh's going to build this kingdom. But the first thing I've got to do is get out the way. This is what I'm talking about. How do I get in the way? I get in the way when I start thinking I can run my life better than he can. So I'll lay down things that actually matter and pick up things that don't matter because I think I'm running my life, and I'm not. And if I am, we've got serious issues. A new day is here. It's called reformation into originally designed freedom. This is where we are right now. So I'm going to read Hosea 1 through 3. Yes, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And, uh, and it's just, they're really short, so y'all don't have to worry about that. But I want, you to, um, I want you to hear some of this language right here. And uh, I feel that I feel I was around my grandpa uh, who is an old school preacher about two weeks ago, and I, I feel him coming out in everything I'm saying right now. So um, I would ask you to forgive me, but I, I'm not going to. Um, Hosea 1. I'm ser- I'm, I'm, we, we just went through a season where the Lord gave us, and I've, I've said this over and over, but just to reiterate, where the Lord gave us a blessing of getting back to our first love. And you know what a lot of people are about to make the mistake of? going back to what we did before. I mean, the Lord shut the circus down for a year and allowed us to get back to our first love. And do you know what we're about to do? Tell the elephants to get out of their cage. That's what we're doing right now, the church as a whole. And I'm telling you, the grace, the patience is a better word, that Yahweh had for that in his house in one season, he don't have for his house in this season. The games are over. This is his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But what we have to do is we have to start posturing ourselves to do what we amen all the time at. One thing. Amen, brother. That's amazing. Awesome. You're going to need to lay down this for one thing. Hold up. Grace, love, peace. Trying to reach people. No, you're not. Right? This is Jesus. Jesus said, unless you lose your life, you will not find it. What does that mean? That means unless you let go of your life, you can't grab hold of another. Unless you die to one thing, you can't live to another. Lazarus could not be resurrected until he was dead in a grave for four days. Christ Jesus, we're going to celebrate next week, 
could not be resurrected into new creation life until he died to old creation life. If anybody agrees with this, then y'all help me out today. Hannah's not in here to, to do the snapping, so... Hosea 1. Uh, and I, let, me just, let me just say this real randomly. Um, a lot of people, actually, a lot of people maybe don't, but um, we'll read this and wonder why the Lord uh, told Hosea to go do what is blatantly against the law to do, which is marry a prostitute. Um, and so, just to help you out, uh, I, I am of the belief, you don't have to be of this belief, that this story is a lot more of a story of um, a parable of sorts, that type of um, symbolic story, than it is a literal story, at least in this first section. Um, but, and that answers the question about the law, different things. Uh, if you want to take a literal, you can. No big deal. Okay. But I just want to say that in case we got to that point and you're like, the Lord told him to go do what? You know. So, um, anyway. All right, here we go. Hosea 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, I love Hezekiah, were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, um, which Gomer means to complete. It's really interesting. Um, so Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel. Now pay really close attention to the names of these because they're going to change, um, the meaning's going to change later. So uh, name it Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end, listen to this, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its mil military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again. And gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, Name him Loami, not my people, for Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Yet, yet, the time will come when Israel's people, and this point back to Abraham, will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, You are not my people, it will be said, You are children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves, talking about Jesus, and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel. 
Really interesting. The day of Jezreel. Jezreel means God plants. So the day of God planting. When God will again plant his people in his land. Last verse. In that, or I guess this is to verse 1. In that day you will call your brothers, Ami, my people, and you will call your sister, Ruhama, the ones I love. So we shift in the meaning. Now, chapter 2 is a, uh, a marriage, um, I guess we would call it a divorce court hearing. That's what this language is, okay? Um, but Yahweh is not in court in this prophetic word to divorce his bride. He's in court to actually reconcile with his bride, which is Israel, us. So anyway, so listen to this language. Verse 2, Now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face. Just hear this stuff. And the clothing that exposes her breast. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst as in a dry and barren wilderness. And I will not love her children, for they were conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I, she said, I will run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them but not find them. Then she will think... I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. Let me read a few more verses, and we'll talk about some stuff, and then we'll finish, finish it at the end. Uh, verse 8, she doesn't realize, listen to this, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil, I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. Man, this is going to be good. I gave her everything, but she gave everything to Baal. But now I will take back the ripened grain and new wine. I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I will put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, and her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lover gave her, things she thinks she got by way of another lover. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal. When she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, said the Lord. Say, like, well, brother, that's harsh. The Lord didn't cause any of that. 
That's, I mean, that's what people, well, how could a good God? God didn't do anything. They stepped into covenant and decided they weren't going to keep covenant. And, and why, how could God anything? Amen. Israel, Israel represents religion. Religion, in our sense, means that which started pure, so covenant, but over time became impure or tainted by drifting from the exclusivity that was your covenant in the beginning to a list of robotic actions that are labeled as Christianity while your heart is given to another. That's what, when I say religion, that's what I'm talking about. It's what started pure, but over time, as your heart drifted, became a robotic list of chores that you have to do to check off you being Christian. In fact, let me help you out with this. Jesus never called them Christian. The city of Antioch called them Christian, but they were labeled as bride. The label that God gave the church was bride. The label that the culture gave the church was a religion called Christianity. And we have been more known by what the world called us in Antioch, way more than we've known by what God himself called us at the cross, which is bride. So if I'm in a religion called Christianity, there's a lot of things I got to do to be a part of this religion. But if I'm bride... There's one thing I have to do, and that's covenant. If you're in a religion, you can lose it by not checking off all the boxes. If you're in covenant, you can't lose it because you didn't earn it to start with. Right? If you're, if you're in a religion, then there is a place you can attain a certain feeling good about yourself because you did a certain amount of task. But if you're broad, you find fulfillment in everything you do because it's who you are. A religion you're a part of. A religion is an entity that you become a part of by doing a certain amount of things. But a covenant is something you become by saying yes. Drastic difference. One of those deals with what you do. One of those deals with who you become. And what you do will never equal what you become. But what you become will always equal what you do. I, so the, uh, we, we talk about holiness all the time and what we mean by holy. And I know I taught this last year. But what we mean by holiness is people doing. So if I ask you today, what does it mean for you to live in holiness? You would say, read my Bible, not look at that, tithe, you know, whatever. But the, the Greek word for holiness is a quality. So it's who you are. So God does everything in holiness. Not because he makes the conscious decision, I'm going to live in holiness. But because he's nothing but holy, therefore everything he does is also holy. So you and I live in holiness, not because we're keeping a certain amount of actions, but because we're becoming holy and as we become holy, our actions begin to mimic who we are. Begin to flow from. That's the wrong wording. Begin to flow from who we are. Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. 
right? So an apple tree can only produce what? Apples. An orange tree cannot produce apples. But we've tried to get religion to produce holiness, and it's impossible. And I said, you, if you were perfect, let me ask you this. Let me just, I'm a, I love uh, philosophy, so let me just, um, if somebody wasn't saved, didn't know who Jesus was, none of that stuff, yet lived every moment, every second of their life perfect, never messed up perfectly, would they be holy? You don't have to think about it. No. Right? No. So perfection, we sing a song like that, champion. Perfection could never earn it. Not because we're incapable of being perfect, but because even if we were perfect, it wouldn't earn it. So we've made Christianity about works when works couldn't even achieve it if we attained those works. Instead of making it about a covenant that has nothing to do with your works, it has everything to do with who you become. Now, that said, you say amen because when I say that, you're thinking, well, that means I don't have to do the works. No, no, no. I'm talking about you not doing something superficial, but you doing something that is who you are. So you'll know a tree by its fruit. When somebody looks at your life, do they see somebody who is the bride of Jesus Christ? Or do they see somebody that is trying to do a certain amount of task in order to be a Christian? Let me say it like this. When somebody looks at your life, do they call you a Christian or do they call you a bride? Jesus, listen, Jesus never called them Christians, ever. If you find that in your Bible, let me know, because I've read it, and it ain't in there. And if you do find it, you're probably reading some other translation, probably reading the message. But um, as much as I, I mean, I'm not knocking the, you know. This is huge. This is huge. Because as I'm talking about us purifying the church, what I'm not talking about is us doing some more works. I'm talking about the opposite. I'm talking about us laying down the work so we can actually become the church. We're not the church unless we're the bride. We're an entity, a a 501c3 nonprofit organization, but we're not the church unless we become the bride. So what I'm talking about is not you doing something perfectly. What I'm talking about is you laying down the covenant that you've been in with other things that aren't called Jesus Christ. In short, in short, religion could be labeled as a wife given to adultery. And in chapter 2, we see a marriage court case where Yahweh is both the judge, the prosecutor, the jury, and the bailiff. However, this prophetic court case is not for the purposes of divorce, but of restoration. Listen to this. God always has restoration in mind. He never has throwing something away in mind. So with the creation that we're in right now, He does not have burning it up and throwing it away on His mind. He has restoration of His good creation on His mind. The names of the three kids in chapter 1 are all named like that, not for the purposes of that being their identity, 
but for the purposes of being redeemed and renamed in what I'm about to read later on. Gomer means to complete. She represents one whose DNA is to complete God's covenant, but has lost her ability to be in her identity because she's become intimate with someone other than what would complete her. Y'all hang with me. Y'all hang with me. I just said this, but exclusivity is not a list of chores you do to be a good Christian. It's the covenant you say yes to when you're born again. When I say the season of half-heartedness is over, what I'm actually saying is we're finding our original covenant. We're divorcing all the other stuff that we've been intimate with and saying yes to intimacy with one. With one. Now let me go back for a second. I, uh, I, what time is it? Oh, perfect. I've got plenty of time. Um, Lord, let the clock stand still. So, so in, in, verse, in chapter 2, 6 and 8, we hear Baal. Now, what you're, this is, this is going to be awesome. So in uh, verses 6 through 8, let me just reread this one second. She fenced, he'll, he'll fence her in, block her path, make her lose her way. Uh, when she runs after lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them but not find them. She will think, I might as well return to my husband, the original one. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything, but she gave everything to Baal. Okay? She gave all her gifts to Baal. Baal means my master. Y'all ready for this? You're not. Baal. I would kill for some water right now, but it's okay. Baal means my master. Baal is what you serve. All right, let me say this one more time. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I can catch it. Hey! Um, Maybe, no, never mind, never mind. Never mind, I was going to say something about USC, never mind. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I, might, I was going to say something good. No, this guy wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Nah, I was going to say maybe I should try out. That's what I was going to say. Um, all right. So, Baal means what you serve. Okay? So, let me ask you, what are you a servant to? Let me ask it like this. What controls you? If you can't say full yes to Yahweh because of, you know, a relationship or a career or whatever you're in. If you can't say yes to Yahweh because of that, that has become a bail in your life. Money could be uh, a, a relationship with friends or a significant other. It could be sorrow, anxiety. Like, I mean, what are you a slave? What are you enslaved to? Whatever you're enslaved to is Baal. That's, that's literally the meaning, and, and I'm about to read it in a second, but I don't want to give it away too soon. Baal means my master. Now, there is something really significant in what the name of Baal means and what we call Jesus. We call Baal, Lord, help me not give this away too soon. We call Baal 
master. We call Jesus groom. One of those you're a slave to. The other you're joined in equality with. So, what controls your life? If a career controls your life, that's bail. If relationships control your life, that's bail. If anxiety, if an election, I mean, whatever, if that controls your life, that has become a bail that you worship. If you can't say a full yes to Yahweh, that's because this has entered into your life. And there is a huge difference, and I just said this, in what you call master and what you call husband. You're under the authority. You're under the authority of a master. You're in authority with your husband. One more time. Y'all are asleep on that one. You are under the authority or control, if you will, of a master. But you're in authority with your husband. We are not slaves to God. We're joined to God. Some of you have been tricked into settling for being a slave to a master, Baal, rather than married to your bridegroom, Jesus. So, I mean, some of you have traded covenant with Jesus because you're enslaved to what is comfortable. What's, what's controlling your life? If it's anybody but you and Christ together, things got to change. There is no job on planet Earth that is worth you being controlled by it. None. There is no amount of money. There's no amount of activities. There's no amount of relationships. None of it is worth you being controlled by anyone other than you and Christ Jesus seated on a throne together and reigning in your life, hosting new creation into the creation that we are in. But we see this all too often. Here we go. We see this all too often is that, let me just speak to the young people. People will get into a relationship They'll stop showing up to church. They'll stop going to church at all. And then all of a sudden, once that relationship ends, they don't even know if they believe in God anymore. We've seen this over and over and over and over and over. People that we have baptized that no longer go to church. And it's not because they just stopped following the Lord. It's because they got into a relationship that became a bell in their life that they bow down to rather than the feet of the one that they should be joined to. I mean, we have young people that will chase careers and chase it and chase it and chase it while their soul is drowning. I mean, we're not playing games anymore. I'm sick of seeing this. I'm sick of seeing us bow down to Baal when the only thing we were designed to bow down to is Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. I know, I know people are mad. I know it. Some of y'all are watching online, and you're mad. It's fine. There's an X button right at the top. I'm dead serious about this, but we got to get real. I mean, God is good. God is love. But do you know what Scripture says? 
God disciplines those he loves. So let me, let me say two things. I've been writing on this a lot. Book coming out soon. But uh, I got two chapters left. But I hope you never feel condemnation from anything I say. But you better believe I hope you feel conviction from everything I say. And not just me, anybody. Con- let me, did I write this down? I can't, I'm losing track of what I've written and what I haven't written. I don't think I wrote this down. Condemnation, condemnation means rejection. Right? So Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you've been accepted. Condemnation means rejected. But conviction, conviction means that your life has been joined to a standard that Yahweh refuses to let you live lower than. And when you settle for living lower than, conviction comes in to say, that's not who you are. We need that. So if you ever hear anything, well, I just feel like I'm being condemned. No, no, no. Because today, this is how the enemy works. Today, the enemy has made us mix condemnation and conviction. They're not even the same thing. You'll hear something that stings, and you'll feel condemned. You're not being condemned. You're actually being loved. Right? So conviction, I need conviction in my life. I need people in my life, including the Lord, primarily the Lord, to step in when I'm turning to the right or turning to the left, to step in and say, this is not who you are. When I'm down, they need to step in and say, this is not who you are. Jordan is an amazing convictor. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. You know, just trying to like... So, but what we don't need, what we don't need, what we don't need is people in our lives that are introducing an, an idea of holiness that is works, that when you live less than those works, you're rejected. That's what I grew up in, is when I fail, I was rejected. What I should have grown up in is when I fail, I'm called to the standard that I'm actually already at. Those are very different things. I repeated the prayer five billion times as a kid because every time I sinned, guess what? I felt like I was rejected. And you're not rejected. It's actually proof of his love that you feel convicted when you live outside of who you are. So if you're going to a party and getting turned up, whatever that means, if you're doing that, you should feel something within that says this is not who I am. If you're doing something in secret that you know is not who you are, you should feel something on the inside of you that says, this is not who you are. That's not rejection. That's actually pulling you closer. I mean, when, when, I, look at, I mean, when I look at you, because this, this is where we're going. We're not carrying sorrow into this year. We are not carrying sorrow into this year. I refuse. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So let me tell you what we're not going to have. Anything but the joy of the Lord. And I'm talking about fake. I'm talking about us being transformed to the point where we have authentic joy from the Lord. I mean, when did Christianity become about sitting around and moping all day? I'll tell you when. I'll tell you when. When we started teaching the rapture. I'm not ashamed. Listen, we're going to start teaching on some of this stuff. You know, I, I have... I have um, <laughs> Lord, I have held my tongue. <laughs> 
I have held my tongue. And the further I go into this stuff, the further I go into this stuff, the more I see how the, I believe, the number one thing above anything else that has enslaved the church since, by the way, the late 1800s. This isn't even something old. If you went into an early church meeting and started talking about the rapture, they look at you like you had four heads. What are you talking about? He's not coming to get you out. He won. Why on earth would he get you out of something that he already won? No, he's coming back to bring a kingdom. He's not coming back to take you to a kingdom. He's coming back to bring a kingdom with him. But the number one thing, I'm telling you, that has put the church in slavery, and if you don't agree with this, I'm sorry. The number one, no, I'm not. The number one thing that has put the church in slavery is the thinking of the rapture. It has. I've heard somebody recently, I won't say where, I've heard somebody recently teach this. Matt, you're going to laugh. I've heard somebody recently teach this. You should get excited when the world gets bad. I, I kid you not. And there was an uproar of the saints. Yeah. Brother, I tell you, when a Democrat gets elected, you better get excited. Right? right? That wasn't what he said. I'm just, I mean, you know, I'm just, that's just how I grew, you know. Y'all laugh. This is how most of us grew up. Man, when people start aborting babies, get excited. Get happy. Because right. <laughs> Jesus is coming. No, 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 no. Jesus is coming for a pure and spotless bride. So when I see the world getting bad, that doesn't tell me, well, brother, I'm going to get excited and let it go straight to you know where. I'd say it, but I get four emails. You know, praise the Lord. Keep going, keep going. No, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying it's my time to step in and intervene. He's bringing a kingdom. We're not sitting back. You can if you want. I'm not sitting back. Sitting back waiting on the trumpet to blow tomorrow morning. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get raptured tomorrow morning. But I ain't escaping. I'm going to get raptured to receive the blueprints to bring his kingdom into the creation. The word rapture isn't even in your Bible. I'm telling you. I got some writing on this. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. For 200 years, for 200 years, that idea has been pushed into the American church. Nowhere else. The American church. Because we're gullible and we'll believe anything that sounds good. Let's get real. Let's get real. There, Lord, there are people, let me just say this. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying you should or should not get a vaccine. That's not, I don't care if you do or not. I could care less. But, in fact, I'm probably not going to right now. I'm hoping it goes away before I have to make that decision. But, 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 there are people who refuse to get it, not because of anything scientific or brains, but because they think it's the mark of the beast. Now, now listen, 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 listen.
Let me just help you. Let me just help you. If the devil wants you healthy, we've really missed it. But, but you know what I'm saying? And again, I'm not talking about whether or not you should do anything. What I'm saying is, is this is how gullible we are. Is that we'll just receive any kind of wind of doctrine. Paul writes about that in Acts, by the way. He tells them, I know, he literally says, I know when in Ephesus, he's to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know when I leave. I know it. That wolves will come in and try to skew what I've taught you. And you will be blown about by every wind of doctrine. I know that. And this is where we are in the church. We're just blown, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Rooted in not this because we don't even read this. We don't read this, but we'll listen to a podcast and we'll buy into things that sound good and sound energetic and rhyme and have a good tweetable phrase in them. The days of those games are over. Let me help us. The days of us playing games with this or with God or with his church, all that are over. We're either going to get real or we're going to get out. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yahweh is about to do in love. What he's about to do in love will unveil the poverty of any bail in our lives in all of its nakedness so that, verse 7, we will return to our husband knowing we are better off with him. Now, in Hosea 8, and then I'm going to finish this and we're done. Hosea 8, 14, Hosea says this. Israel has forgotten its maker and built great palaces. Israel has forgotten its maker and instead built great palaces, and Judah has fortified its cities. Therefore, I will send fire on their cities and burn up their fortresses. Palaces and fortresses are man-made and bring a false sense of security. So Israel has forgotten its maker and instead started making things with their hands that would bring them a false sense of security when the only security that any of us has is in the refuge of Yahweh. So in love, he prophesies, he's going to burn anything we've made with our hands to show us where our true refuge is. For years... I believe my calling was to demolish religion, even up to recently. Now, I'm starting to see that my and our calling is to so marry religion that it leads those in her to a place of re-identification. For years, for years, up until, honestly, when the Lord started doing this in me, I thought my number one calling was to destroy religion. And what I believe is the way the Lord wants to get rid of religion is for us to so marry the idea and those stuck in the idea of religion that it leads to it all being re-identified back to its first love. He didn't throw Israel away. He's not going to throw any church in this state or in this country away. But what he is going to do is he's going to lure her out. So here we go. Um, Isaiah, can you come up here? Because I, really I really want you to get this. I think this is 
one of the most prophetic things in all of Scripture that is relevant to us right now. Hosea 2.14. I'm going to take a drink of this and then we're going to read it. So 13 ended when it said, I'll punish her for all those times she burned incense to Baal when she put on earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. Now here goes verse 14. But. But. Then I will win her back once again. I will lead her, the NIV says lure. I will lure or lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young. When I freed her from her captivity. Can you, can you hear, before I go on, can you hear Yahweh calling Israel his bride? This wasn't just a bunch of random people that he just loved. This is his bride. Can you hear this? One of these days, I'm going to bring her into the wilderness and the hope in him and maybe there. Maybe there she'll love me like she did when I first freed her. Do you hear, hear this in his voice? When that day comes, said the Lord, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. Baal. You will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows so you can live unafraid in peace and in safety. I will make you my wife forever. Why? Why? I mean, I read this, I literally have this. Why would you do that? What kind of love does it take after he's gone through all the ways that Israel, us, have turned away from him to every other thing and look at us and say, I'm going to get you to the place where I'll make you mine forever. You couldn't get out if you wanted to. Showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as Lord. In that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I'll answer the sky as it pleads for clouds. Hear creation in this. And the sky will answer the earth with rain. 
Then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain, the grapevines, and the olive trees, and they in turn will answer Jezreel, God plants. Here comes the name of the kids. At that time, I will, crop, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. This is who I believe we are. I will show love to those I called not loved. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. Verse chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. This shows that Israel, listen to this, will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, talking to Jesus at this point, pointing to Jesus, but afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God, to David's descendant, their king. Ready? In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. I will win her back again. This, this is a prophetic declaration for us. And when I say the Lord wants to purify his house, what I mean is this. The Lord is luring us into a wilderness right now. He's, let me say, he's tricking us into a wilderness. We would never make the conscious decision to go where we had to, where we were forced to go in the last year. We would have never ever in a million years made the conscious decision to face what we have had to face over the past year. We've been tricked. Bill Johnson calls him Jehovah Sneaky. Right? His love for us is so great that knowing we would never make some of these decisions on our own, he tricked us into the place where he could lure us back. And he does not say, I reject you because you've rejected me. He says, let me wipe the names from your lips of all the other lovers you rejected me for. I mean, this is what the cross is. This is what the cross is. That Jesus, that God made the conscious decision all the way back to Abraham when he enters into the covenant with Abraham across the blood path in Genesis 14. Abraham pours the blood 
and then falls asleep, wakes up, and there's a pot and a fire torch coming across the blood. And it's God saying, I know you can't uphold this covenant. Therefore, I'm going to uphold your end and my end as well. Jesus Christ comes. Jesus Christ comes to spill his blood. That's what that is. The blood path, that Genesis 14, the father-in-law and the soon-to-be groom would all stomp in this blood, let the blood splash on them as a signal that if you don't uphold your end of the covenant, it's your life on the line. If I don't uphold my end of the covenant, it's my life on the line. Yet Abraham sees God upholding both. So God's saying, if you don't uphold your end of the covenant, it's my life on the line. If I don't uphold my end of the covenant, it's also my life on the line. And he sends Christ Jesus, fully God, to the cross, whose blood was spilled to uphold man's end of the covenant for us. Do you see this? I mean, Jesus on a cross, not even recognizable because he had been beaten to death, blood spilling all over the place. How many people in that crowd looked up and saw God on a cross, blood pouring out, and thought back to, oh my Lord, he's fulfilling the covenant that he told Abraham he would uphold both ends of. This is what this is. Easter, Easter is not a time where we can get dressed up and have a hip, happy day. I love it. We should be excited and we should be um, joyful. But what we better be is resurrected. You are not celebrating Easter unless you live as if this meant something. We don't live as this. This doesn't mean anything to us. This is an emblem that we use to check off boxes in religion. That's what this is. No, no, no. What this is, is the ring given to us as the bride. We don't honor this. We worship Baal. It's, this is nothing new. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Boy, has he ever been so right. Nothing new under the sun. All the Israelites, God's people, keep turning away, turning away, turning away. 2,000 years later, all the bride keeps turning away, turning away. Except this time, where we have been tricked is we think it's okay. It's normal. I mean, this has become normal. And this is what I feel like the Lord is doing in us. Is that, and I've told the Lord, I don't want to preach this message. There's a part of me that did. The part of me that likes to just poke and prod. But there was a major part of me that used to struggle with fear of man. And that part of me said, I know when you start talking about this stuff, it's going to cause all the gray areas to go away. However, however, in Isaiah 6, you don't have to turn there. I'm just taking my time. I'm almost done. In Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and two they flew. With two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation. The entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. One of the seraphim got a coal, touched his lips. See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord saying, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? And I said, here I am. Send me. And he said, how long will this go on? How long will this happen? And he said, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land lies deserted. Even if a tent, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But, but, and this is, I've I've quoted this verse so many times, it's become my favorite verse. As a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. And what Yahweh is doing right now is he's coming through to the church. He's chopping the tree down to the stump. But what is left after that cutting is going to be the seed of not just a move. I'm sick of that language. We're going to see a move of the Lord. No, 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 no. We're seeing something way bigger than a move. I love moves. But if it doesn't lead to anything being established, who cares? I'm not looking for momentum. I'm not looking for a big breath of fire. That's awesome. I love that stuff. And I'll I'll embrace that stuff if it leads to something transformational. But what I'm looking for is the stump that has been so identified with who it is, bride, that it becomes the holy seed once the rest of the tree is removed from it. We've seen the Lord do amazing things in our lives, in this church, but what would we see if we all got singular in heart? I mean, we, we've seen some awesome stuff. But, but what would we see if we got real about this? I mean, we would not sit around having to encourage people while people are still sick. We wouldn't have to sit around encouraging people while they're still dealing with depression. If, if we could get singular in heart and knock down all the idols of Baal that we have built up in our lives... I promise you what you would see is what the early church would have died to see and did die trying to see. This was so significant for the early church, they were willing to go with joy to a place of their head being chopped off, knowing not that they were going to escape, but that one day they were going to get up again. For us... If we're inconvenienced by our schedule, we'll lay it down. (laughs) Amen. 
just keep saying amen to myself. I mean, right? If, if something is inconvenient for us, we'll lay, we'll lay down. The Lord still loves me. Absolutely. Absolutely. But how are you ever going to become who you're designed to become as long as there's still idols in the high places of your life? One king. One king in the history of Israel tore down the high places. One king. Out of all of them. Tore down the high places. One of them. And that was right before exile. And let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to tear down the high places. It's one thing to go around and tear down the idols that are around you. The comfortable stuff. It's a whole nother thing to go to the high places that people have become comfortable with and start tearing those things down. Let me tell you what we're about to have some fun doing. Tearing those down. In Columbia, whatever high place exists in Columbia, guess what I'm going after? I'm going after that. And it will not live in my city. You and I are kings and queens in this city. Right? And so I declare that every image to Baal that exists in this church, that exists in the church, and that exists in our city, you're coming down. You're coming down. All of it. And we're going to have to make the decision. We're either going to go down with it or we're going to stand firm on what we are, which is the bride of Jesus Christ in the earth, left in the earth for a purpose. He didn't forget about us. It's like Matt talked about Noah last week. He's not waiting around saying like, oh man, I forgot about my bride. I better go get her. You're here for a reason. And the reason is, is reigning. It's being fruitful and multiplying and subduing. After he said, and I'm going to finish this. At the end of that, he says, you're going to come back to my house, but you're not going to have any sexual relationship with anybody or me. So after a time of purification, after a time of purification, Israel will be led to a returning and devoting to the Lord under David's descendant, Jesus. You literally see playing out. Deformation, losing form, inward formation, believing you are who he says you are. And then reformation, you becoming the seed of his kingdom in the earth. I'm going to end with this. And, uh, and then we're just going to take a minute to pray. If you got to go, <laughs> I love you. Um, but uh, Ezra... I think I'm on, I'm not going to say that because I don't know if that's what we're doing, but I've been reading through Ezra, and this is the aftermath. So they, they go in exile, and Ezra, Nehemiah, they're taught, they're, their books are about when the Israelites come back. And I read this this week, and I never realized this. I've read this before, but it just never hit me. In Ezra 3, when the Israelites come back into the land, when they come back into the land, they're sent back into the land to rebuild the temple. But in Ezra 3, the first thing they do when they get back into the land is not start building the temple. It's rebuilding the altar. Before they ever laid a brick on rebuilding the temple, they rebuilt the place of worship. This is what the Lord's doing in us. 
I believe this is very prophetic as to why we haven't been given a building yet. We've been praying for a building. The Lord's going to give us a building. You mark my word. But the reason we haven't been given a building yet is because I believe the Lord wants us to rebuild the altar first. We need to learn how to worship before we start trying to rebuild his temple. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I asked the Lord how to end this, and I just felt like um, I needed to kind of flow with whatever he was, he was going to do. But, um, but here's, here's what I believe we need to end this with. Um, number one, if there's a bell in your life, it's got to go now. If there is a bell in your life, something that you are enslaved to, and I'm not saying that's going to be something easy either. In fact, it's going to probably be something really difficult. And you might have to make the decision to massively trust the Lord in a way that you've never trusted him before. But you know what it is right now. And you're second guessing it. I'm saying, I'm, I just know this. I know I've been in this long enough. Right now as I'm talking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're having a conversation in your head as to why that's something that should remain in your life. It's not. It's not something that should remain in your life. Um, Baal's got to go. You know what the worship of Baal led to in Israel? It started out with them worshiping some idols and some Asherah poles. And eventually it got to the place where they were offering their kids to the God of Molech, burning them alive. What started as worship of just a different God led all the way to the point where they were killing legacy. Let he who has an ear hear. It wasn't that Israel turned away from God. It was that they tried to worship God and all these other things at the same time. And you won't hear, listen, you won't hear a message like this on Palm Sunday because we're trying to get people in the house for Easter. You won't hear this. But listen, I, 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 hope, I hope we have a great, awesome Sunday next week. But what I really hope is you and I start to live resurrected. That's what I really hope. I hope this Easter is not a celebration of us getting to wear new clothes. I hope this Easter is a, is a celebration of us getting to be a new person, new identity. A lot of people try to get, unless you're buying from enough vintage, then you can wear new clothes, but shout out. But, um, <laughs> just, <laughs> um, but um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if you want to come up, you can. If you want to stay there, you can. I, don't, I mean, it's, it's no big deal to me. But, um, but we've, got, we've got to let some of this stuff.